Harrison Price for Monday, October 9th, Thanksgiving 2023. We're coming to you from the Go Goat Sports Studio built by Arbor Lee here at the Iconic Wall Center, downtown Vancouver. If you're looking for a place for a holiday party, and yes, on a holiday, we will talk to you about the upcoming holiday parties. A fantastic space available here at the Wall Center. Call them 604 331 or reservations at Wall Center. Matt Sikers alongside Blake Price. Trevor Martin's hitting switches, conducting things. The show presentation of Applewood Auto Group celebrating 25 years. And right now at Applewood Nissan Langley, Applewood Nissan Surrey, Applewood Nissan Richmond. You can lease or finance 2023 or 2024 Leafs from 6.99%. Finance the 23 Rogue from 3.99%. And then over at Infinity in the Richmond Auto Mall, at least a 2023 QX50 from 3.49% or a 2023 QX60 from 2.99% because, like Christ, it is all good at Applewood, and we should make a very distinct distinction, if that is a phrase. Um, <laughs> from the these are the Department good, of Redundancy. These are the good leafs, department. not the Toronto That's maple right. variety. Don't be afraid of these leafs. No. And speaking of those Leafs involved with a trade. Yes. Good segue. In a trade with the Vancouver Canucks yesterday, Sam Lafferty is a Vancouver Canuck. He's acquired for a fifth-round pick in 2024. But they also got a right-shot defenseman in the trade. Right? Didn't they? No? No. Well, they unloaded some salary, gave themselves some salary cap room in the trade. No. They got that certified winger that can score. Nope. Mm. Here's the thing. (laughs) Sam Lafferty may well be a useful piece for them. He's a right shooter. He can play center or at very least take face-offs. He's got some penalty killing experience. He's got a little bit of snarl and maybe even chip in offensively. I am surprised to see them peel the fifth round pick to add a forward who profiles similarly to Jack Studnika, who was coming on, who was coming off a good camp, according to most who had observed. So uh, we went into the weekend. We talked about this Friday, talked about a little further on Rinkwide with Jeff on Friday night after they lose Carson Soucy in that hockey game. Don't be surprised to see a move. And don't be surprised to see a move for a defenseman because you take a look at how Talkett and Foot had gone about structuring the defense and it looked like they were still trying to figure things out, see if they had a group that fit together. And now Susie's gone week to week. So I'm not surprised they were involved in a trade this week and I am surprised they were involved in a trade for a, a forward and again, a guy... Profile similarly to Jack Stanika. This is not a word of a lie. I was in a store last week, saw a belt that I liked. It's like a casual belt, but a kind of a dressy belt. Like it was sort of like a mid casual dressy belt. It was a versatile belt. Yeah. I don't think they would bill it as a mid casual dressy. 
Versatile belts. Who knows? You could dress it up. You could dress it down. Yeah, but you couldn't dress it down. You wouldn't wear it with a suit. You wouldn't wear it with a suit. But it was, okay. And I don't have a belt that sort of. I've got a suit belt, mm-hmm. and I've got like a sport golf belt, but I don't have a mid. And I thought to myself, I like that belt. It's like it's like fifty bucks though, and I was like, hmm. do I need that category of belt that badly that I'm going to do that? And I thought, you know what? I don't. I'm gonna. I'm gonna take. I feel like Lafferty's that belt. Mm-hmm. Like nice, like fine, totally okay. Yep, get the mm-hmm. player. But do you need to go through the rigmarole, peeling off a draft pick? You know, can you can you have a reasonable facsimile? Can you find a way to make your lineup work with a guy that maybe makes eight hundred grand instead of one point two, and you know things like like it just you didn't well, need to one point one five. Yes. Like he's the he's I rounded up. Yeah, the variable amount. They would be, um, they would be keeping no cap space on the NHL books if they were to demote Sam Lafferty. But of course, I don't think they're going to. He was twenty-seven points and twelve goals last year in seventy games, split between Chicago and Toronto. By far his best season, though, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. And he's twenty-eight, so yeah, it's. But he's another two hundred pound forward, and they didn't have a whole lot of those. In fact, Miller and Besser are the only two. And the fact, and the, the fact that he can skate. I mean, the mm-hmm. yep. Canucks aren't blessed with a, a, a like a lot of guys that can like skate. Like I said, he could be a useful piece. And so answering the Bodog poll question, do you like the Sam Rafferty acquisition? In a vacuum, I will vote yes. Bodog, your source, free casino games, poker strategy, sports odds. Oilers, Vancouver, Wednesday. Edmonton's the minus 160 favorite. Vancouver, plus 135 to win. The over-under is six and a half. May go over there, mm-hmm. uh, given all the penalties and the lack of defensive structure and system in the opening month of the NHL season on your Bodog line of the day. One thing I do need to say, though, about about his usefulness and his skill set, like people are bringing, he can skate, though, guys. We don't have speed in our lineup. Okay, but if this player was using his speed to such great effect, Mm -hmm. I think he'd be making more than 1.15 at the age of 28. Yeah. Like, this is... this. Well, and chances also, are this player's not as good as you think he is. If you had appropriately moved with Ilya Mikheyev shortly after he partially tore his knee, as opposed to letting him play half the season before shutting him down, you would have a fast winger ready to go Wednesday. As it stands, Ilya Mikheyev will not be ready to go Wednesday. And that brings their decision to allow him to play on that partially torn ACL and only go for surgery as late as he did in February back into the crosshairs of many a Canuck fan, and rightfully so, because there wasn't much to gain by letting him play those games last year. You were out of it early. And so either you were fooling yourself or you were giving in to the wishes of a player, but you weren't appropriately treating the injury so that the next time you played games of consequence, this player would be available. Uh, Secondly, just getting back on Lafferty for a second, Blake, Jake and Dickinson in a second to get Riley Stillman, Mm -hmm. a fifth for Ethan bear. A seventh for Vitaly Kravtsov. 
A third to get rid of Pearson and take on Casey DeSmith. Now a fifth for Sam Lafferty. Um, to be fair, if you go back, we got a fourth for Lazar, a third for Luke Shan, a fourth for Tyler Mott. But this regime, much like the previous regime, is spending draft picks to fix the bottom end of the roster. They're doing so because they are incapable of developing those sorts of players, which is quite a red flag. And this is now almost two years in to the Jim Rutherford regime where we're doing this. At some point, the Vancouver Canucks are going to have to develop their own fourth liners and third pair defensemen. And this year they had all this quantity to choose from, from in both of those spots. And they didn't give any of them a chance. And, and, and apparently the coaching staff, or at least on the forward side of things said, no, nah, these guys ain't it. Um, the other thing is, you know, you continue and look, uh, you know, I've read the takes or oh, they have all these UFAs. If things don't go well, they'll be getting draft picks this year. Great. Yes. That's how non-playoff teams should behave. That's the thing you, you, you also know how non-playoff teams should behave. Amassing picks, not just replacing picks, adding to the picks you already have. That's the thing you talked about. You you gave them the benefit of the doubt and talked about the Mott trade and all those picks. That's a bit, effectively a break-even. This team should not be a break-even team when it comes to the acquisition and depletion of draft picks. This is a team building. This is a team that should be using and adding picks not breaking even in trades in terms of the number of picks that are leaving and coming back. And ultimately there's, there's been some second round picks that have left this organization and those haven't been replaced. Well, I, I didn't do, I didn't do the Ronick um, cache. Uh, I, I just went with pure picks players, pick for players you know, yeah. like not necessarily, yeah. um, you know, acquisition using picks to acquire players that high up the line. I, I basically drew the line, at, you know, around third bear defense or fourth line forward. But still, the Canucks have not exactly bolstered no. their draft picks. Next year, the mm-hmm. 2024 draft, they're still one pick short. In 2025 right now, they're one pick short. Mm-hmm. Uh, that does not sound like a team that is building. You know, so that mm-hmm. that's, that's the issue is that they're a pick short right now. Next year, they're a pick short in 2025. They're a pick short in 2026. And this past year, seven picks. Mm-hmm. Right on the number. Last year, six picks, one short. The year before that, six picks, one short. Year before that, five picks, two short. Like yeah. so As we say all the time, folks, in isolation, sure, fine. A fifth round pick for Lafferty could well work out, particularly given how, how low a percentage the fifth round pick is in isolation. Again. But it's the teams that are making nine to ten picks every year and doing so over a several year period. That's when you're going to start hitting on more of these late round draft picks because that's when you have, as Blake calls them, more lottery tickets, more volume. Well, and, greater likelihood. Anyways. And as Grady pointed out on, on Twitter too, um, and I hate to give Grady any sort of say, credit. On a day he's not working. I know. Well, this is the good day to bring it up because otherwise we just we never hear the yeah, end of it. Fair enough. Um connects of third round or fifth round picks that are like big time contributing members of their roster. That's true. Actually like Garland, Joshua, Susie, like these are apples of their eye. That's right. In the lineup currently. So if you tell me that all fifth round picks never pan out, well, they've got fifth round picks that they are quite high on. Yeah. There's three of them in the lineup or they would have Susie in the lineup, but he got hurt Friday. 
And that looked awful, Blake. His knee gets pinned underneath the Calgary flame, bends awkwardly. I mean, I like the fact he tried to stay on the bench for a second, but I wonder if that was just sort of the perfunctory, no, I'm good, shake it up, and then went to the room. And now Talkett is calling him week to week. And look, that's um, Carson Susie probably shouldn't mean that much to a team. But of course, he was the big free agent offseason addition and the penalty killer, along with Ian Cole, and a guy that you were counting on to play in your top four, we think. The Vancouver Canucks are low on actual NHL caliber defensemen. And Carson Susie is. Certified as a National Hockey League defenseman. So, yeah, losing one of the, all of a sudden you're, I w- you could make the argument they only had five to begin with. And now you can make the argument they've only got four. And yes, I'm calling Tyler Myers an NHL defenseman. And Akito Hiroshi gets recalled. So it looks like he's going to have the opportunity. The other thing, well, Lennon went down, Akito Hiroshi went up. If you're wondering why all these maneuvers from the Vancouver Canucks, Our friend Hart Levine over at Puckpedia, I thought, spelled it out pretty good yesterday. After acquiring Lafferty, waving Wolanin and Stadnika, the Canucks can now submit a roster that's 2.43 million over the cap, which is 70K away from optimizing Pullman's LTIR of 2.5 million. They can actually get to 28,000 within the maximization window if they swap out Neil Oman for Vasily put Colson on the opening roster, we did see Oman go down, have not seen any word on put Colson at the, at the time that we are recording this. So we shall see. I will, but they're going to, that's the second year. It. It's the second year in a row where the Vancouver Canucks and this management group has swung a trade in the final days before roster deadline to see if you can maximize cap space. And I imagine that had some, um, if it wasn't the main reason why you went out and got Lafferty, it probably had some fringe benefit that they looked at and went, oh, okay, we can set a roster even closer to the limit here, which allows us to maximize the the overage for Tucker Pullman, who we know is not going to play. So Oman, Stanika, Willannon all down. Hiroshi up because of the Susie injury, Sam Lafferty in. And the other thing, Blake, where does this leave Nils Hoaglander in terms of where he's going to play or if he's going to play with the Vancouver Canucks? Um, Because we know they can't send him down. And I imagine he's going to be a start on the fourth line. They can't really send him down because you would risk losing him on waivers, so I suspect it means Hoaglander on a fourth line with Lafferty and Bluger. He may have just won a spot through happenstance. Yeah, and that's provided Bluger can play. Yeah, because he gets stopped at practice yesterday, and the way Talkett position did it was that you know, look, you have nothing to gain here. Make sure you're ready for Wednesday, so he leaves practice well la- early. Bluger, Lafferty, and Beauvillier will, will all be ready. Right, so there is a world in which Hoaglander still gets bumped out, taking out McWard for Bovillier, Lafferty is an option. 
Mm-hmm. There's still a ways in which Nils Hoglander watches opening okay. night. But we'll see. I thought they were down to the minimum number of forwards because McCaff is hurt. I guess I'm giving McCaff a spot. You're right. Yeah. Yes. That's yeah. where the other McCaff skated in practice. Yeah. yeah. McCaff is not going to be good to go Wednesday. So Hoglander's yeah. in. Yeah. I guess you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And you're playing without a spare forward until either McCaff's ready to go or you make another roster move, which I suspect they may have to. If I mean, they lose a forward in the first game, then they're absolutely going to have to. They may want to anyways going out on that five-game road trip, particularly with their minor leaguers all stationed here for a Chilliwack-Abbotsford camp for the baby Canucks as opposed to, you know, sometimes you go out east and your minor league team is out east and you don't sweat it as much, but everyone's going to be stationed back here. Yeah, Neil Zaman's position in the – Team, I think well, is, uh, I think is now heavily called into question, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Like, oh, I mean, I, I mean, you went out and got a guy to specifically send him down. Yeah. Right. So again, they obviously, a- prefer Lafferty. He could go down to Abbotsford and do great work, and maybe they don't love Lafferty as much when they see him. Yeah. Uh, up close and personal, but that's where we're at. Hey, our buddy Frank Saravelli loved the trade. Here's what he tweeted. Love the Lafferty acquisition for the Canucks. Relentless worker, good speed, quality PKer for a team that ranked 32nd and 30th on the penalty kill over the last two seasons. Chipped in 12 goals, 24 points last year. No risk at $1.15 million and a fifth-round pick. And that is absolutely one way to look at it. And if you're in love with Lafferty or you think he can be an asset, improve the competitiveness of the club immediately and we all know how they have to be competitive here in this month of October. Can't have a third consecutive October where you find yourself buried and behind the eight ball. Let's get to that football game on Friday. Mm-hmm. And you work the sidelines on. Lions blow a 10-point fourth quarter lead. They fall to Winnipeg 34-26 in overtime. You had a better view of it than me. Jeff and I were in here working the Canucks game. A few thoughts on the Leos blowing that game, and it really effectively locks them into the number two seed here in the West Division. There is still a route where if they win two and Winnipeg loses two, that they can host the West Division final. But I don't suspect that Winnipeg will lose with uh, both Edmonton and Calgary on the docket. It was a tale of two halves. I mean, the Lions played uh, a fine first half, played a great first half. But um, the two and outs came fast and furious yeah. in the second half. They just couldn't move the football. Adams, 250 at the half, passing yards, yeah. and then about, what, 100 yards from there after? Well, and, and most of that Winnipeg was... defensive changes. Hats off O'Shea and the defensive staff. Yeah, and most of that was on one play in the second half. Uh, his... his um, his second half numbers came on basically two plays, including the final play of the game, which very well could have been one heck of a way yes. to blow the roof off the joint. Um, Situational football guy needs to know you got to get down there because your chances of making the end zone are small. But if you get down, it's not like the American game. So long as there's time left on the clock, you get a final snap. I, I I think it, that's hard to ingrain to a guy who's just, so hard who to sees ingrain. nobody in front right. of him. It was Katoy, right? Yeah, yeah. And of course, he had the seventy-yard touchdown 
early. It was, I think it was Holmes. Was it Holmes? Oh, sorry. It yeah. might have been Holmes. Yeah. Um, Katoy had a 70-yard scamper himself earlier in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's – I mean, it, it, I, I – I, I wonder if much was said to him about because the the play call was interesting as the final play it wasn't a hail mary it was like a twenty five yard pass down the middle and he still had another thirty yards to run like it was a little bit of an odd play call and if the play call was to get into field goal position you'd think that would have been on his mind a little bit more so only they know exactly what went down there it was rhymes rhymes there we, we go we're both wrong yeah <laughs> uh. And, of course, Rhymes coming back. He's missed some time this year with injury. 107 yards for him. Katoy with the 70-yard touchdown. Tuiema with two forced fumbles. And then Betts and Barron each with a sack and a fumble recovery. Sean White is perfect on field goals. What was your take? Some thought it was a bad spot on the Vernon Adams reach out. But I thought it was originally on my second yeah. look. I I thought it was pretty fair, actually. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but I liked what Farhan said about it. You know, it's certain what you, you got to convert those. I, I had this talk with my buddies. They were texting me after. They're like, why aren't you pinning them deep? I was like, you know what? That's the old school thinking. You pin them deep. But new school thinking is you make that play 98% of the time. You That's go for it. it. That's right. And, of course, didn't have a challenge. Wasted a challenge earlier in the game. Ed Tate, who has been covering football for the better part of 33 years in Manitoba, tweeted that that ranks up there in the top three victories he had ever covered for the Bombers in the regular season. It was that good a football game. It was that dramatic. It was dramatic. A football game. Uh, I was getting texts on Saturday morning. Oh, what a football game. Anyways, well, the Lions kept Brady Oliveira at bay, and then Oliveira ran roughshod in the second half, both through the air and on the ground. So the Lions likely to host the West semi here against a tumbling Saskatchewan team or maybe Calgary because Saskatchewan's been so bad. Saskatchewan. It's George Reed night at Mosaic. Your playoff hopes require a victory here. And you lay an egg against Hamilton. So Saskatchewan, Calgary, or I believe even Ottawa could cross over, Blake. We've almost never heard of. Oh, my God. Or considered a Eastern team crossing Has it over, ever happened? I don't know. Into the Western playoffs. But we'll see if the Red Blacks can win against Montreal today. And Calgary and Saskatchewan, who play each other next week, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, if there's still a route for the Red Blacks, God knows it's a uh, dog's breakfast of teams at the bottom of the CFL. and. Should also note, Lions have the bye in week 21. Yes. So they will sit there and watch things play out on the final weekend, if there is anything to play out on the final weekend of the Canadian Football League schedule. As for the NFL, Philly and San Francisco stay undefeated with their victories and really easy victories at that. San Francisco more than Philly. Thought that Dallas might be up for a clash of the Titans on Sunday night football. Alas, no. So the two 5-0 and teams still. Uh, Carolina still winless. The only winless. And then some interesting ones. The second worst loss in the history of the New England Patriots. The previous worst loss was to the undefeated 72 Dolphins. So it had been 50 years. Pittsburgh with that unwatchable offense. 
comes back and somehow beats Baltimore. Uh, Jacksonville beats Buffalo and London. How about those Jets? They beat Denver, give the game ball to Nathaniel Hackett because Sean Payton was talking all that shit about how poorly coached they were last year. Well, Sean, your team looks pretty poorly coached right now, too. It's true, yes. And uh, Sean Payton had some choice words for Russell Wilson coming to the sidelines. Doesn't seem to be working out with Russell with the so-called quarterback guru, so-called quarterback whisper. Denver is one and four. And then how about Miami? They beat the Giants by two scores. No surprises there. And now Daniel Jones heard behind a patchwork Giants offensive line. Miami has 2,568 total yards of offense now. Blake, they have surpassed the St. Louis Rams. They have St. Louis Rams of 2,000. That was the greatest show on turf era. You mm-hmm. remember that? Yeah. They had held the record previously at 2,527 yards. So the Dolphins have surpassed that. It's taken 23 years and X number of years in the passing eras, quote unquote, to exceed that total from Kurt Warner, Isaac Bruce, Tory Holt, and the Groove Marshall Falk and the Greatest Show on Turf. Talking about this with a friend, though. There are a number of unwatchable teams in yes. the NFL this year. It does not feel like it's been a banner year for highlights and for like even spectacular 500 play. teams, even teams over 500 like Pittsburgh are unwatchable. Yeah. New England's one unwatchable. Denver and the Raiders are unwatchable. The Giants are unwatchable. Carolina's unwatchable. You have some really god-awful offense and entertainment going on with some of these NFL games. I heard a guy on uh, Sirius Radio last week talking about, like, you just look at these NFL cards week after week and go, eh. Is there a talent vacuum? I don't, uh, no, I, I, I don't think it's that. I don't think it's that. I could be wrong. Coaching issue, maybe? Well, I don't know. When you tactics? say talent va- vacuum, you're talking about, like, you know, maybe it's now. Uh, is this the concussion factor? Is this the concussion? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're not getting the talent I, I pool to choose from is just not what it used to be. I, I don't know, but um, all, all I know is I, I I can't sit here in all honesty and say that I'm excited for some of these NFL cards that are being thrown out. No, it has not seemed like a an exciting year. There I haven't been a lot of red circle games no. for me. Nope. And, and and that's because I don't think there's a lot of red circle teams. But right even now. after the fact, you can be surprised. I don't think there's been a lot of weekends so far where at the end of it, people are like, did you see the blah, blah, blah game? Yeah. Not a ton of that. You know, it's mostly been, did you see Aaron Rodgers last four plays and get injured? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you see how bad the Giants were? I was late arriving to the game last night, and I made the mistake of checking social media. I wasn't PBRing it anyway. I was going to join it. But then I saw what was happening. I was like, guess I'm not watching that. Yeah. Back to Move the Beckham do- by, by documentary. Let's get to today's menu brought to you by AG1. Drink AG1. Start your day the right way. End your day the right way. Heck, put it into your lunch menu. Drink AG1. Go to drinkag1.com slash Sakaris and price and get a special offer. Uh. We'll do some hashtags today. Venue potentially for the 2024 NHL draft. Players and teams qualifying in their given sports. We'll get to J-Pat. Jeff covered practice yesterday. Get his thoughts on the trade for Lafferty. McKayef not being ready. Susie hurting what that means. Maybe in Bluger. 
and what the Canucks look like here as they're 48 hours, less than away, depending on when you're listening to this, before their season and home opener. Happy Hour brought to you by Yellow Dog Brewing, Neighborhood Brewing, Workshop Spirits, and very excited to announce the release of Yellow Dog's very first mix pack, Box of Tricks. Choose between the classic Play Dead IPA, the award-winning Rough West Coast IPA, and two brand new beers, Growl Extra Pale Ale and Tug of War New Zealand IPA, hitting the shelves on Tuesday, November 7th. And at the end of a busy workday, treat yourself to a Yellow Dog neighborhood or workshop spirit. No matter what you're buying, folks, when you're out in the world looking for this, that, and the other, I think you want to support businesses that you feel good about supporting. You can feel good about supporting the Applewood Auto Group. Uh, They've made the car business and communities around them a whole lot better with their work in the community. Go and find out why it is indeed all good at Applewood. Visit them online anytime at applewood.ca. Harrison Price from Wall Center and a presentation, Applewood Auto Group. And they continue to celebrate their 25 years serving your community, making the car business and the community a whole lot better. That's the thing. They, they've got a conscience here. Applewood does so much for the community, and uh, that's why it's great to support them. They also offer, of course, the best-in-class experience. If you're looking for a car, if you're looking for servicing, or looking to join their team, Go check it out, applewood.ca. Bulldog poll question asking you, do you like the Sam Lafferty acquisition? Yes or no? You can vote at Secure Some Price on Twitter. Bulldog, your source. Free casino games, poker strategy, and sports odds. How about some free hockey, Wednesday? Overtime? Oilers, Canucks, if you like that, pays plus 295 on your Bulldog line of the day. Jeff Patterson joins us now from Rinkwide, our Vancouver Canucks Reporter, after a very busy weekend for the Vancouver Canucks, a game, a trade, all sorts of roster maneuvering, and uh, not exactly great news on the injury update front, Jeff. How are you? Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving to you guys and all the listeners as well. I couldn't help but think to myself as I watched practice at UBC on Thanksgiving Sunday, Jim Rutherford was along the glass, and it was, what, two and a half weeks ago that Jim Rutherford said, if everything goes right, he believes that this could be a playoff team. And then as he looked out at his uh, squad on the ice, Carson Soucy not out there, so they're down a defenseman. Teddy Bluger leaves after 15 minutes of practice. Cole McWard is playing right wing on the fourth line because they don't have enough forwards. And Anthony Bavillier, the latest to be uh, the victim of the flu bug that's been making the rounds and took down Pedersen last week. And so, I don't know, just uh, all of those things combined don't exactly add up to everything going smoothly for the Vancouver Canucks a couple of days before opening night. No, and um, GM yesterday was like mere feet from the media core and didn't want to address the trade, Jeff? Yeah, a couple of requests were made. Patrick Alvine was there as well. We're told that Alvine will speak to the media here before opening night. So it's Monday today. I mean, you can do the math, I guess. Maybe uh, on Tuesday, we'll hear from the general manager after the roster has been set. But yeah, I mean, anytime a team makes a trade, a Canadian market, two Canadian teams hooking up on a deal, plus all of the other moving parts, I. Uh, Kind of felt like uh, we could have shot the breeze with the general manager on uh, a sleepy Sunday or not so sleepy Sunday as it turned out to be. But uh, no, he declined uh, a couple of requests from the media pack that was there. So yeah, it's been a challenge to uh, get a word in uh, with the general manager of the Vancouver Canucks, which is unfortunate because there was a lot. I mean, there were a lot of moving parts there yesterday with the uh, waiver 
uh, manipulations and those types of things that uh, I think required a little bit of explanation, but we'll see how the dust settles. And then apparently we will uh, get our chance to ask, because, uh, you know, with Ilya Mikheyev out there as well, uh, you know, that's a question I think that needs to be addressed by this organization. Mikheyev's not going to be ready. We learned yesterday, probably still a couple of weeks away. So uh, ramping things up at practice, but definitely not for opening night. And it sounds like maybe not uh, for that opening road trip uh, for Ilya Mikheyev. And so, uh, again, just uh, another thing that uh, I think I would like to have asked uh, the general manager if he had been in the mood to take some questions yesterday. And I hope that they send Ilya Mikheyev to the AHL. I mean, if you're if you're going to say he needs time anyway, you would hope that he uh, faces some live bullets and and um, and actually plays down in the AHL before jumping into the National Hockey League. But um, let's start with the trade. I mean, uh, how did it surprise you? Yeah, I, mean, I, I guess adding another bottom six forward, it felt like we came into this Canuck camp thinking about all the wingers that they have and. Uh, you know, they need help at the top of the lineup. You can see that. Connor Garland again skating with Elias Pettersson and Andre Kuzmenko on Sunday after he played there Friday and didn't do an awful lot. And then you've got PDG, who all credit to him, has had a nice camp. But again, he's going to start the season in the top six. So you've got questions in the top six. And now you've got an added uh, a bottom six guy. Now, there are a couple of things to really like about Sam Lafferty. Right shot can take face-offs. I think he's going to start on the wing here, but uh, if they need him situationally to take some face-offs, uh, he could do that. And they really haven't had a right shot center since Jay Beagle and Brandon Sutter. Curtis Lazar was here briefly, but didn't play much center ice for the Vancouver Canucks. So Lafferty's got some size. Uh, he's got speed. Uh, there's utility there and some versatility. And again, as much as people may have liked the preseason from Jack Stanika and Nils Amon, at the end of the day, there was zero bottom line from those guys. And we talked about you can't just skate around out there or in a Canuck uniform. Sam Lafferty had a really nice preseason with the Leafs. He had two goals, two assists. Now, he was playing a little higher in the lineup, I understand, with uh, John Tavares and, and Matthew Nye. So he was putting a, a nice spot there with the Leafs. But uh, when you look at the Canucks nipping at the fringes here, you know, I like the additions of Prius Suter and Teddy Bluger uh, in the offseason. And Bluger's looked good in the in the preseason so far. And now you add a, another player who I think is an upgrade on what they had. But for me, the frustration is, I really, you had to go and pay. And I know it was a nominal fee, but like this was the hope at the outset of camp that one of Vasily Podkolson or Nils Hoaglander was going to be able to bring a little bit of jam and some of the things that Rick Tockett's looking for. And obviously, Pud Colson's down on the farm, and Hoaglander looks like he's going to be the extra forward here on opening night. And so, uh, not a great preseason for either one of those guys. And so, the Canucks had to go outside the organization, pay the fifth round price to get a player that clearly profiles along the lines of you know, Rick Tockett admitted yesterday he didn't know an awful lot about the player, but he said he had talked to some former coaches. I would have to think Mike Sullivan is one of them uh, from the time that those two guys and the player were all in Pittsburgh. Uh, but I think it's another indication, guys, that this team doesn't have enough of what Rick Tockett's looking for. And so they had to go and go shopping on Thanksgiving Sunday to find a piece that he thinks can slot into the puzzle that he's trying to put together here. Yeah, also uh, also means, you know, they're not developing their own guys. Um, fourth liners, third pair defensemen. These are... I think that's pretty abundant. And we saw that abundantly clear through training camp. Like, Pod Colson and Hoagletter were yeah. given every opportunity. And at some point, it's on the player to make the most of it. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's uh, one of the storylines here. I think the last three weeks is the disappointment of both Pod Colson and Hoaglander. And the thing is, Jeff, they flooded both the fourth line and the third pair to try and see if any kind of cream would rise to the top in this training camp. 
And it looks like they're striking. I mean, it's effectively an admission that you struck out on the fourth line. And of course, now the defense, which could be awfully compromised without Carson Soucy week to week. huh? That doesn't sound great from head coach Rick talking. No. And how many times have we seen week to week turn into you know, longer than that? And I guess week to week leaves them wide open. They're not putting timelines on it, but uh, it's just kind of the Canuck way that week to week becomes a, a month or, or who knows what. But I mean, it didn't look great when he got tangled up with Sharon Govich there, kind of wrenched his knee. The Canucks haven't come right out and said it's a knee injury, but I think uh, if you look at the highlights uh, or low light, as it were, uh, that's the body part that uh, was in question there. So, yeah, look, it wasn't a great camp, I didn't think, for Carson Soucy either. And ultimately on Friday night, he was on the third pairing with Noah Juleson. But all of this means that Tyler Myers is going to start the season in the top four. We know that Tyler Myers at this stage of his career is not the perfect hockey player. Hopefully Ian Cole can settle him down just a little bit. But at practice on Sunday, Akito Hiroshi, who a week ago we were told didn't have NHL fitness, wasn't strong enough to compete in battle at this level he gets the call up, and the third pairing, and it looks like the presumptive third pairing for opening night now, is going to be Akito Hiroshi and Noah Juleson. So, yeah, there were already questions about this defense. I think people thought it was better, but how much better? But to your point, Matt, all of preseason, all of training camp, and just moving the deck chairs around a little bit here and hadn't ever settled on these pairings. We heard about the committee last week, and then uh, Philip Hronick with Quinn Hughes Friday night, and that's the way they skated on Sunday at practice. So, the Oilers coming in, it looks like the Canucks are going to try to load up at the top end of that committee and have this one matchup pair that's going to probably play close to half the night. He's on his eighth team in eight years as Ian Cole, too. And I think we have to, um, you know, watch sort of how how much we deify Ian Cole. He's a journeyman defenseman. He's in the top four. So never mind Tyler Myers being in the top four. Ian Cole being in the top four is is not great either. And the fact that they're paired up, I mean, you've got – You've got a. I don't mind that as a third pair at all. By the way, like Myers and Cole on my third pair, that's that's great. They have now nobody as a middle pair. That's effectively what's happening here. They've gone to their first, their third, and their fourth pairings, and have completely skipped over a second NHL caliber pairing. Yeah, and and the right side was in question through camp, and that's why Cole McWard got this long look and. Guys, injuries happen. It's a contact sport. And anybody that's followed the Vancouver Canucks knows that injuries happen to the defense core. 16 different defensemen last year. And so I still have questions about the depth when the injuries inevitably happen. And whether it's a guy out for a week or, you know, out for a month, whatever the case, you know, Guillaume Brisebois, who hasn't ever solidified himself as a true National Hockey Leaguer, you know, he's injured right now, but it's not believed to be serious. But it looks like he's likely to make this team out of camp as well. And so for all the talk of what they did in free agency in the offseason, uh, you know, one injury or if it's more than that, all of a sudden back to square one with the depth of the Vancouver Canucks defense. And it's a long season and they're in a tough division with four teams that finished with 100 points last year. And then you've got the Calgary Flames who were in here. Uh, you know, if this team is going to get incrementally better here, I don't disagree with the president that things had to go right for the Vancouver Canucks, and uh, it just kind of feels like they're going to limp out of the starting gate here. What's the better? What's the better approach? So splitting up Hughes and Roenick right now to to make sure there's a, a like a really good player on each of the first two pairings, or just leaning on that, that pairing for 32 minutes. 
Uh, I would spread whatever, I dare say, wealth uh, they've got around. Uh, remember, too, they can control the matchups on home ice on opening night, but then they're on the road for five, and they don't have yeah. the luxury of last change. Like There are good teams out there, and there are really good players. They're going to jump a third pairing of Hiroshi and Juleson when they're out on the road. And, you know, it starts uh, game two is uh, Edmonton, so it's the rematch against the Oilers. But then you're going to see Tampa. You're going to see a high-scoring Florida team. You know, on and on it goes. Like, it's going to be difficult. And so we've talked about the schedule is tough uh, with that road trip. And that was uh, assuming that everybody was going to be healthy and ready to go. And so right now, I think uh, that gets called into question even more. So let's see how Rick Tockett and his coaching staff handle the matchup game. Uh, I'd be in favor of having sort of one uh, fixture on defense most of the time. And that would be splitting Hughes and Heronic. So uh, we'll see how long the experiment lasts. But uh, you're right. If they do play together... Uh, it kind of feels like they're going to have to play half the game. And I'm not sure that that's ideal uh, in game one of an 82-game marathon. And as much as losing Susie hurts and as much as not having McKayev ready hurts, gosh, with the way he played in the preseason and on the penalty kill, Jeff, they can't afford to lose Teddy Bluger either, who looked like he got hurt Friday, came back, played the game, but then left practice after, what, 15 minutes? Yeah, and... and- you know, was out there to start practice and then uh, came over to the bench and had a long chat with the training staff and coaches came over to consult as well. And then uh, that was the last we saw Teddy Bluger. And afterwards, Rick Tockett said, Bluger wanted to continue to practice. Tockett said, I had to kick him off the ice because uh, Monday's a full off day for them. Uh, and then they've got Tuesday practice and then it's go time on Wednesday. Bluger's expected to be okay, but I suppose if the foot doesn't respond in the next 48 hours... Uh, you know, his availability for Wednesday night gets called into question. But I think that the Canucks felt that was the prudent play to give him the rest of the day off Sunday and then a full day of rest here, maybe get some treatment uh, on this Monday. But uh, yeah, again, it's just, you know, death by a thousand cuts sort of things in terms of being with this optimal lineup for uh, for opening night. Uh, things not exactly falling the Vancouver Canucks way right now. Uh, any chance uh, Oman, Stadnika, Wolanin get claimed? And do you think they're done yet? Are they scouring the waiver wire? Or are they looking to make another trade and add anybody? Yeah, I think they have to be. I mean, that is the job of management is to try to keep getting this team better. And so there are questions about the defense. I would think, you know, we see it over the weekend, teams trying to flood the market essentially and hope that their guys get through waivers because there are so many players on the waiver wire and all other teams are making difficult decisions as well. Uh, it just it always feels to me like at this time of the year that most teams have a Jack Studnika, a guy that, uh, you know, knocks on the door but can't land that full-time role. Uh, Christian Wolanin's interesting just because he was the AHL defenseman of the year. And if you're looking at a depth guy that uh, certainly can generate a little bit of offense from the back end. For sure. Uh, I think that that's a, a, you know, that one more than Studnika to me, but I guess it's the fit uh, elsewhere around the National Hockey League. Uh, and then for the Canucks, uh, you know, let's see. I mean, teams are getting down to their last cuts here. So uh, there may be some attractive players that are available. Uh, but again, this is a club, and it is remarkable, guys, that they orchestrate one of the biggest buyouts in National Hockey League history not that long ago to create cap space for themselves. And here they are, uh, you know, on the day that they've got to set their opening night roster and there's still all sorts of salary cap manipulation and maneuvering that's required for them because uh, this elusive cap cushion that Jim Rutherford has talked about since day one on the job, which, by the way, is coming up on two years, uh, and they are still in search of this cap flexibility, and that includes moving 
off all of Reckman Larson. So uh, it really has been a struggle and a chore. And uh, I, I just bring that up because uh, really uh, their options are limited, but most of the players that are on waivers here in the days before opening night, uh, you know, are at or near the league minimum. So it shouldn't be that difficult, but you've just added a Sam Lafferty contract and, you know, and that's another one that has to go on the books here uh, before opening night. Yeah. And uh, imagine where they would be if they did not buy out Oliver Ackerman Larson. Yikes. The cap management of this franchise and the player development once again in focus as we head into the regular and home opener on Wednesday. Jeff, thank you for this. Happy Thanksgiving. We're going to catch up with you again tomorrow in advance of the opener. Sounds good. So Harrison Price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group and hashtags the best and worst of Twitter is brought to you by our guy, Jason Hominick of Jason Dodd Mortgage. If you have a great rate on your mortgage, but still need equity out of your house, Jason has a solution where you keep your great rate and you access that equity without touching your existing mortgage. If your mortgage is up in the next six months, now's the time to reach out. Find him. Jason. Dot mortgage. There was uh, a lot of speculation on what the Canucks could do to improve their blue line here. Well, we'll go to this from late yesterday at a ports line with no CBJ players on waivers today. Would appear that Liam Foodie and defenseman Andrew Peak, barring unforeseen transactions between now and 5 p.m. Monday, have made the 23 man roster. Yeah. This is after uh, I-, I thought Canucks Army put together an, an interesting argument for um, the Columbus Blue Jackets being a trade partner with the Vancouver Canucks for a right shot defense, but they just, they, of all the teams in the NHL, they have this huge cache of right-hand defensemen. None of them, you know, going to set the world on fire, but National Hockey League right shot defensemen. And guys on the come in, in, in uh, Coolman's and uh, I believe there's another um, Oh, you're a check. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Who are, are, yeah, yeah, are bringing yeah. up the rear. Oh, yes. Yes. Who um, was, what? Uh, fifth overall, whatever he was. So you're taking him out of the equation because he may or may not be uh, part of the media plans. Um, a guy like Andrew Peak was potentially a trade target for the Canucks. Again, we're down to the short strokes here. It doesn't look like it's going to happen. It looks like Canuck business has been done, mm-hmm. most likely. Um but you do wonder if something in the not too distant future still might be cooking here for the Canucks to to find somebody. Yeah, as I tweeted yesterday, I'm not at all surprised that the Canucks are once again peeling picks to fix the bottom end of the roster. They have done this through two regimes now. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's just an indictment of their development system that you can't develop fourth liners or third pair defensemen mm. better than you do. I would have thought a, def- a defenseman, especially after K- uh, Susie leaves the game on Friday. Right. Like, what was uh, the like bigger- we were sitting there talking about maybe a defenseman even with a healthy Susie. Yeah. And so this is a upgrade, and, and I suspect they think it more than marginal over Jack Stadnika. Okay. But, but yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. In a vacuum, sure. Yeah. Uh, in the context of what this organization does and is it about, uh, another one, huh? All right. Uh, I'm going to go to, uh, I'm very proud of my hashtags today. Oh, okay. All yes, right. yes. I'm, uh, I'm going to start with front office sports at FOS. <whistles> One of the venues being considered to host the 24 NHL draft, the sphere in yes. Las Vegas. Yeah, Please that. giddy up. Yeah. 
looks awesome. What an experience for those kids. I'm, I'm not a diehard U2 fan, but uh, the clips no, that I've seen, send me there, please. Yeah, yes. yeah. exactly. Got to see a show there. Yeah. I mean, I'm not necessarily sure an NHL draft will do it justice in terms of the technology and what you can do in that theater. Also, like, you want, like, a full sensory experience. Yeah. I don't think the NHL award show no, gives you that. Yeah, but. well, draft. But, um, oh, draft, pardon me. Yeah. But, but if you can secure it as the NHL, giddy up. At Bob Weeks, TSN. Roger Sloan saw flow is headed back to the PGA Tour. Merits Roger Sloan. He cut his hair. Did you see his 18th hole yesterday at Corn Ferry? No. He's between clubs in the fairway trying to carry water to the green. He looks like he's going to go back to the bag and switch out clubs, take a different club, but then settles on the club that's in his hand. Hits it short, fat, and left of the green. He's a fair distance from the pin, and he's shaking his head. You can tell. That's a guy who was indecisive, didn't commit to the shot, and uh-oh, if he makes bogey here, he falls below the top 30, and he's out. He hits a chip to about 10 feet, and then knuckles up and makes the putt. Wow. But for a second there, I'm like, oh, my God, Roger. Like, because, you know, one of the great things about golf in the 18th hole, the 72nd hole, the pressure comes home to roost, right? Like it is pretty hard to hide. And it looked like he was going to succumb to the pressure, but he wound, wound up making about a 10 foot putt. So good on him. Look forward to seeing him back in PGA tour events next year. And not the only Canadian. I don't think that, that, uh, they'd got a card. Uh, I believe Ben Silverman. Well, Silverman was winning tournaments there. So yeah. yes, I believe sort of Silverman had already qualified. Yes. To move on up. So it's uh, two but more He was Canadians. a pretty good story, too. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's a bit of a journeyman story as well. So, yeah, we'll see uh, We'll see how the Canadians do here in the uh, wraparound, or, or they don't call it that anymore. No. There, there's fall. a change now to the fall golf schedule. Well, it just means you can add more points to get yourself higher up in your priority for your PGA card. That's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. At ESPN. <laughs> Kelvin Kiptum from Kenya shattered the men's marathon world record in Chicago on Sunday. He ran 26.2 miles in just two hours and 35 seconds. An unbelievable feat. I see. I would run more marathons if I could do them in 235. They just take up so much of the day. That's why I haven't been running them of late. But if right. I can trim it down to 235, you know, you can, you can squeeze it in. Right. I, um, and I saw our buddy Jay Janauer of Glow Hour, uh, of Global tweet. You know, we are on the verge of a sub two hour marathon here. Are we? Well, he just beat it by thirty four seconds, right? Yeah, and he's thirty five seconds past two hours. Yeah. So, I would suspect that somebody is going to run a sub two hour marathon. Going forward, it's possible, which you know kind of has a little bit of Roger Bannister miracle mile to it, right? Well, think about that. Like, that was a big deal when Bannister was able to do the mile. The well, how many miles? Uh, what was the four minute mile at that point? Mm-hmm. So, this is not much more than the four minute mile. He's running a 436 mile. 
over 26 miles. <laughs> you could take any one of his miles and he would have been competitive back in those days. You know, like it's uh, it's crazy. I uh, actually had him in hashtags today, but one more. Devin Aru at Devin Aru mm-hmm. of CBC underscore Devin. Canada to the Olympics. We brought you the story of the Canadian men's volleyball team on Friday that were looking pretty good. Well, they went out and they spit the bit against Belgium, which really put them in a bad place. And then Bulgaria beats Belgium. Canada beats Mexico. We told you Mexico was winless going into the match. So as Devin says, it's pure joy for the Canadians who are going to the Paris Olympics, despite thinking they may have blown their opportunity by losing to Belgium. That's why they play the games. Twist of fate. You're back in Canada. Look forward to it next summer. Speaking of the Olympics, this is interesting. At CTV News, flag football set to be included at the Los Angeles Olympics in 2028. Flag football. Alongside cricket, and then they're bringing baseball and softball back. Uh, Lacrosse and squash as well. Yes. That's field lacrosse. I would would guess it's field. The Americans love their field. Yeah, But, But how about cricket in L.A.? I mean, I would have thought a cricket playing nation would introduce it. Yeah. introduced it. And baseball and softball, people were like, no, that was at the last Olympics. It was. It's not at this coming Olympics yes, in Paris. That's it. it was in China. It was not at um, uh, London. Yeah. So it's an on again, off again affair with baseball and softball in the Olympics. But yeah. in, in a city like LA, yes, absolutely. Baseball, softball, and flag football. Break dancing has been cut. So it's going to be in Paris. One and done. As a one and done, which is a little bit weird. Who's the Vancouver kid again? World uh, champion. Uh, he's got the, the uh, uh, he's the gold medal favorite next year. Uh, we'll get to him on East Nose tomorrow. That's hashtags <laughs> for today. Take care of some price from Wall Center. Presentation Applewood Auto Group. You can text us 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox. Great Clips. It's going to be great. Uh, just before we get to East Nose here and your Bodog line of the day, it was not a high event match Saturday in Seattle with the Whitecaps and Sounders in their Cascadia rivalry. And of course, Whitecaps, not only Canadian champions, but Cascadia champions this year. A couple as trophies, well. yeah. Absolutely. 17 to sh- 4 were the shots at goal. Alas, none of the Whitecaps shots hit the target. Well, what Stephen the- Fry did not have to make a save. Gauld hit the outside of the post yeah. in the, 67, the 62nd yeah. minute. But uh, it was not exactly a threatening evening for the Sartinis. Uh, Takoka made five saves. Perhaps he's in better graces after that performance because there was some worry about the Japanese keeper in his recent form. Yeah, that was uh, that was maybe one of his season Mona Lisa's uh, akin to what he looked like in March and April when he burst onto the scene and everybody exhaled and thought, okay, goalkeeping's been shored up. Um, speed wobbles 
in the most recent couple of months. But yeah, that was an elite performance. And we had talked about how if you go far enough back, Blake and I used to joke, uh, BC play south because the Caps had gotten a few results there in Seattle and some surprise results in Seattle. It was 0-8-2 at Lumen since 2016. Of course, there's a playoff defeat in there as well. I thought they were good in the first half. I don't think they, like they weren't outplayed in the first half at all. It was every single statistical category was 50 50 after the first mm-hmm. half. It, it was just a middleweight bout where they were just dancing around the, the ring a little bit. Neither side was good in the final third. Final 25 minutes of the game, Seattle took over and really pushed forward. And yeah, but the, here's the thing uh, there was there was only like two big saves by Tack Oak, I would say, uh, for the most part. Caps were clearing the ball yeah. left, right, and center. They had 34 clearances in the game. You were sitting there on pins and needles going, any minute now Seattle's going to get one because they've yeah. had such possession of the ball deep in Caps territory. But you're quite right. I mean, there weren't any real five alarmers there Yeah, it down the stretch. A couple of big saves, but I mean, for the most part, every single time they tried to cross the ball in. Yeah. Um, Laborda or Blockman was heading the ball out. Like it's just they, they couldn't make anything happen in the box. So it was, it was a good defensive effort. They would have won a three, but they get the one, and it means that they have probably avoided the play-in game. They are well. Uh, the upshot. The top I was going to say the upshot is they have avoided the eight-nine play-in game. Yeah. They can't fall that far anymore. Um, forty-seven points. Now they can't get higher than third. Now there was a world where they were trying to get to second place in the West. The problem they have is Real Salt Lake is one point back of them with a game in hand. Dallas is five points back with a game in hand. So those are the two teams that can leapfrog the Caps and push them down into as low as seventh. Now, Dallas would need to win both their matches and have the Caps lose. Real Salt Lake has a much easier path through the White Caps. And then you're looking at the teams in front of you, Portland or sorry, Houston, one point ahead. Now, a tie is not enough to win the tiebreaker with Houston because they would have more wins. So Houston is at Portland in their finale, and so you're hoping the Timbers help you out there, and maybe you can jump ahead of Houston and gain. Timbers don't want to play in the playing game, so they're going to be defending against that. So you're hoping that if you can get ahead of Houston, you're no longer, uh, you have home field advantage, Mm -hmm. and so you would have potentially two games here at BC Place in the best of three opener. Seattle is three points ahead, so that requires a Vancouver win and a Seattle loss. And if that's the case, then the goal differential will fall to the Caps, and they'll win it on yep. that second tiebreaker. Decision day is a you know, sad part of the MLS schedule, which, of course, is different than the global football schedule. Decision day is still more than a couple weeks away. It's October 21st. We do have some MLS activity between now and then some games and we'll know some of the story with Real Salt Lake and Dallas but decision day is the 21st of October Vancouver hosts LAFC who are one point up on Seattle for second place and they may well be playing for something in their mind's eye and it's a 6 p.m. start at BC Place uh, I saw. on decision yeah day. because they want to get everything every game. yeah there's two flights of games so they play the games either at three uh o'clock or at six o'clock and the white caps are obviously on the later slate yeah. at six o'clock yeah because they want everyone uh, together so not till october 21st that's a saturday we will see the caps 
and find out where they where they sit in the MLS. They'll get a better uh, a better idea too of the, what's at stake uh, when they see what Salt Lake does um, on October the fourteenth. They they're one of the f- few games that is uh, coming up next weekend. So because uh, they've got two games left, Salt right. Lake does. So um, and there's even some games a week from Wednesday. Yeah. So um, yes, we'll uh, yeah well, Saturday. It's uh, Salt Lake is at the Galaxy. And Dallas is home to Colorado, so we'll know some some more of the story at that point. Here are some omissions from Friday's program. Tourism Alberta would like to remind you, Blake, there are no rats in their province. Yes. Or so they say. So they say, yeah. Grady screwed up the days of the week on the NHL draft. It was a Wednesday, Thursday this past year. And uh, basketball Phil is upset with us because we were going through all those old-time East, like, 1960 NFL guys who became pitchmen in the 70s and 80s. We forgot Merlin Olsen. Oh my gosh! One eight hundred flowers. He belongs on the list, right? More than that, though. He he was in. Was he in the Waltons or Little House on the Prairie? One of the two. Yeah, he did have. He actually had like a full on acting. He had a full on acting career beyond just pitchmen. Like a number of other NFL stars from that era, we mentioned Bubba Smith. This was all in the vein of the passing of Dick Butkus and. How many stars of that NFL era became pitchmen par excellence just on your screen routinely, uh, particularly during sports broadcasts. And then some of them, even Alex Karras, Bubba Smith, went on and, and did some some real acting on top of just the uh, product endorsements. Yeah, he was Little House on the Prairie for go. five seasons, 51 episodes of Little House oh. on the Prairie. That is a hell of a career, Merlin. Yeah, and then, he had, and then he got his own show. I think he got a spinoff show called Father Murphy. It was very similar. 34 episodes over three seasons. So, yeah, yeah. he actually got some Part play. of the uh, fearsome foursome there uh, with the Rams back in the day. So that's Harrison Omissions. Blake Price's Bodog line of the day. Bodog, your source, free casino games, poker strategy, and sports odds. Who you like, what you got? Three Whitecaps keeping busy, going to join Team Canada against Japan, of course, uh, in... Well, a few days' time, Friday night, 3.35 a.m. I know you'll all be watching. I don't know that we should predict a Canadian win at plus 4.75. As tantalizing, though, as those odds are. Like Those are long odds here for Canada versus Japan. It's 19th-ranked Japan. Plus 2.85 for a draw, though, if you think the Canadians can grind out a, I could see it, like a 2-2 draw, something like that. Let's go with that, plus 2.85. On your Bodog line of the day. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder to subscribe to us and Rinkwide if you haven't already wherever you get your podcast follow on social that's twitter insta tiktok tiktok youtube and facebook and of course support the community sponsors you hear us talking about keep it local